everyone doing? Lydia, how many days until Christmas? Ten days till Christmas. Who's, who's ready? Who's got all their preparations done, decorations, planning for food, food planning, gift planning? That's all done. Um, anyone need to plan their time off work? What they're going to do for a... Uh, for a couple days. Um, I realized yesterday we have a, a total of one decorate Christmas decoration up at our house, and it's because Connie gave it to us last weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we're we're ready. Um, so <laughs> So, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that we often think about uh, getting ready, uh, preparing decorations and planning and getting together with friends for Christmas. So I realize it can be really stressful and, um, you know, there's a lot to do. And if anyone's um, looking down at their phone right now, maybe you're even shopping right now. That's the amazing thing with the, the Internet. We can shop anytime. But anyway, what I hope this morning is that um, we'll just take a few moments and just pause and really think about um, what Christmas is about, and uh, let me just pray for us as we shift our, our focus, as we continue to, to focus on, on Jesus this morning. Pray with me. Um, Lord, help us to turn our eyes on you this morning. Thank you for this time of, of, of worship, of singing your praises, Lord, and we just want to continue that now as we look into your word. Lord, we want to turn the attention of our hearts and our minds to hear what you want us to hear this morning, and I just pray that the the, the words that you've uh, given me to share this morning, and I believe they're from you, Lord, that, that those, would, those words would be encouraging to us this morning, um, and that would be, they would be glorifying to you today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, so we're celebrating the Advent. Um, so this is this time of the year where we're, we're anticipating, we're turning our attention towards celebrating the time when Jesus came to uh, came to earth as a human being, celebrating the Messiah's birth. And here at CBC, what we've been doing, some of, the, some of our traditions is we've lit, in our, we've lit these candles um, and we've heard the voices, the, the recordings over the last couple of weeks. And we've been studying in our Sunday mornings this little section in um, a letter to the Church of Colossae, to the Colossians, um, that was written by the Apostle Paul around the year AD 61. So almost 2,000 years ago, this was written, and it's in the, the original language in Greek. It's this like poem, this little song or hymn or something like that. And if we were to put a title on it, maybe we would call it The Supremacy of Jesus Christ. Maybe that would be the title of the song, something like that. Um, so just to get us up to speed, to recap where we've been, week one, we looked at the first verse. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And we saw that Jesus Christ is the human embodiment of God. Right? And in week two, we looked at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And we saw in this section that Jesus is responsible for creating and responsible for creation. Okay? So week three, this was just last week, verse 17. He's before all things, and 
in him all things hold together. And we, we saw this idea in this verse that Jesus isn't just this, this clockmaker who kind of wound things up and let, let the, the universe off to go, go on its own and just run its course, but that God, Jesus, is our sustainer and that he's involved caring and holding all things together. So that brings us to our, um, our verse for today, uh, verse 18 which says, and he is the head of the body. He, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So there, this is another packed verse, and I want us to see three, three big ideas in this verse. And what we're going to do is, is circulate around these three ideas, um, starting right now. This first idea here, that he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. So, right, the church is not... This, this building, the church is the people, and this is a fundamental New Testament concept, that the church is the gathering, the ecclesia, the people, the followers, the Jesus followers. Um, we kind of lose this in our modern vernacular when we say something like, oh, I'm going to church today. Church, you don't go to church like we go to a building where the church meets. Like, that's what, that's what we should say. But, um, so this verse is referring to Jesus as the, is the head of the church. So sort of this idea of Jesus being the source of the church, sort of like we would say the, the head of a river or the headwaters of, of a river is the source of the river. Jesus is the source of, of his people, of the gathering, of the ecclesia, of the church. And, and second, it says he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Okay, this is kind of strange, but if we break it down a little bit, the firstborn of the dead actually is referring to the resurrection of Jesus. We saw firstborn, we saw that idea a couple verses earlier when it referred to, when Paul referred to Jesus as the firstborn of all creation. And this idea of firstborn is as a prototype, uh, the, the way the resurrection will happen. And as recorded in the Gospels, we see that the resurrection of Jesus was to a physical body. There's actually a physical body. Somehow there's some, somehow different in some ways than uh, his body was before, but still very much a physical body. And Jesus didn't die a second time. He went to heaven with his physical body. How all that works, I, I don't know, but somehow Jesus and his resurrection is the prototype, the way that the resurrection is going to happen in the future for his, for his followers. And third, it says that in everything he might be preeminent. And here we see that because, because of the resurrection, Jesus has a special place, right? It's because of the resurrection, a special place among all other people, among all other things. And this idea of preeminence is that Jesus is, is superior. He surpasses all others, all other things. So there's a lot in this verse. And so what I, I'm hoping to do now in the next, whatever, 20 minutes or so, is we're going to, we, we're starting here in AD 61 when this is written, written we're going to rewind to about maybe like 63 years, something like that. We don't know the exact timing in the calendar because our calendars have changed over time. We didn't have A.D. until, I don't know, the thousands or something. Anyway, but we'll say about 63 years earlier when Jesus was actually born on earth. Okay, so we're going to rewind about 63 years, and then we're going to work through time back to A.D. 61 when this was written. And hopefully we have a little richer understanding of what that verse means when we get back to AD 61 here in a, in a few minutes. Um, okay, so that's our plan. So here we are, about, we'll say about 63 years earlier before this was written, right uh, to the very night Jesus was born. Right? This is the first Christmas 
night, the first Christmas. And we'll pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, but I invited someone special from my childhood to come and read um, Luke chapter 2. Yeah, let's just, here, let's. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Wow, thanks, Linus. Um, Man, I remember watching that every year on TV. I don't know if they even show that on TV anymore, or if anyone watches TV. Okay, cool. That's great. <laughs> um, but Linus actually cut things off a little bit short here in Luke chapter 2. So I'm going to continue um, a little more of the shepherd's story here in Luke 2. This is continuing in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. This historical account from Luke doesn't tell us how many shepherds there were, just as shepherds, plural, two or more. Um, but, and, and I don't know much about taking care of, I don't know, actually, I don't know anything about taking care of sheep. But in this section, it tells us what their, gives us their job description, right? It says, keeping watch over the flock by night. Their job was to take care of the sheep, their sheep, their boss's sheep, somebody's sheep. They're taking care of somebody's sheep. But then they leave, right? I don't know if they take the sheep with them. I don't know if they just leave the sheep on their own. Maybe they, like, tag team, half go. I, however that works, I don't know. But at some point, they, they make some decisions, uh, some deliberate choices to say, hey, let's go see what is going on here, this thing that, that God has revealed to us. And they can't ignore it, and they have to respond. And maybe we can think of it this way. In that moment, while they're on the job, they, they're actually – adjusting their professional responsibilities to put Jesus before the sheep at that, at that moment, before their job. At that moment, at that night, the, sheep were put, or the shepherds were putting Jesus first, and they, they praised God. Okay, so that's Christmas night, right? Let's go forward 40 days. This can be a little quiz question. What happened 40 days after Jesus was born? Brought him to the temple. We heard about that a few minutes ago. And then Mary and Joseph, as was their, their custom, their requirement to take Jesus to the temple after 40 days. And then there's this stranger who takes the baby and says, this is salvation. And this guy, right, Simeon, 
um, takes this baby. I don't know how that worked out. That might have been kind of weird. But um, he was told that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Messiah. Simeon, God told Simeon he wouldn't die. There are some traditions that say Simeon was this, like, really, really old guy, like way over 100 years that he's just kind of like, come on, I want to die, and I can't till the Messiah comes. And he's, I, I don't know how old he was. Actually, here's Rembrandt thinks he looks like this or thought he looked like this. Um, so finally he sees Jesus, says, this is salvation. And then after seeing Jesus, Simeon says, you're releasing your bondservant to die in peace. Like, now I can die. So here's Simeon living on year after year. All this time, it seems like beyond his natural lifetime. And it goes on and on and on. And he's waiting to see the Messiah. He's spending his life just waiting to see the Messiah. And then he sees Jesus, proclaims that this is the person who will bring salvation. It's kind of an interesting little bit of the Christmas story, right? But have you ever noticed um, Simeon doesn't show up in the nativity scene? And you might think, well, wait, that's 40 days later. But okay, hold on. Um, maybe, maybe we should change that. Let's put, let's put Simeon in there. Um, he's part of the, part of the Christmas story. He can replace that. What was that? A donkey or something. I'm poking a little bit of fun because we take some liberties with when we display our, our nativity scene, because there are other characters in the nativity scene as we display it that actually weren't there that first night, but we still put them in there, right? The, the three wise men. Well, we don't even know if there were three. We'll say the magi from the east, the wise men. Um, they came maybe as early as the next day. We don't know exactly when. It might have been the next day, possibly at least Mary, long enough later that Mary and Joseph had a house to be in instead of a stable. Um, or maybe it was a year and a half or two years later. We don't know exactly the timeline. That's not really, I don't really want to dwell on exactly how, you know, wh- when that happened. But th- the point I want to make about the wise men here is they came from far away. We don't know if that was hundreds of miles Maybe like modern day Iraq, Iran, maybe it was farther away over in Eastern Asia somewhere. We don't, but they traveled a great distance at a great expense and they gave valuable gifts to Jesus. They were willing, the wise men were willing to show, willing to give so much time and treasures and offering to Jesus to show how much they valued Jesus. Even when it came at that great cost to them in their time and their treasures. Okay, so... At Christmas, we focus on Jesus like babe, as a baby, but Jesus didn't come to earth to stay a baby, right? Jesus grew up. And most of the, the writing in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospels, is about Jesus' adult life. So that takes us to about, we'll say, about 30 A.D., right? Jesus' adult life. About three years of his time of dedicated earthly ministry as an adult. And much of the Gospels record what's going on in his adult life and what he's teaching at that time over those three years. And many people call him teacher, right? That's one of the most common names that people, how they address Jesus is it's teacher. And people come from all over to listen to him teach. But there's one episode of Jesus teaching that I think is particularly interesting. Um, And one of the reasons I think it's interesting is because you don't often realize this. But actually it was on the the night of the Last Supper. It's not just the reveal of Judas and that's it. But there's actually a prolonged period of teaching of Jesus with his disciples on that night. There's several books in the chapter of John, Jesus teaching to his disciples. Jesus knows he's going to die in hours, but he's still pouring out teaching to his, his disciples. So on that last night at the Last Supper, um, 
he gathers with his disciples, the tw- 12, and all of his disciples ended up there, those 12 ended up there the same way, right? They responded to Jesus' invitation to follow him. That's how they got there, right? Jesus said, follow me, and they chose to follow him. And for three years, Jesus poured into them. He led them. He ministered to them. He taught them. Um, and that's the same invitation that Jesus offers to us today. It's pretty simple when you think about it that way. It's to follow, to follow, follow Jesus. Um, so at that last supper, there's the 12 disciples. Judas is revealed as the betrayer. Judas takes off, and he's still got the, the leaven are left there, and Jesus continues to teach, teach these guys. Um, and, and there's a lot in those chapters in the book of John, but there's, there, I think there's one verse that kind of captures so much of everything that Jesus taught that night and over his, his whole uh, earthly ministry. You know? let's, let's take a, a look at that. This is what Jesus says. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Notice this isn't love other people like how you want to be loved. This is a bigger, this is a higher standard. Um, Jesus calls it a new commandment, but it really captures what Jesus had been teaching. Like, how had Jesus loved his disciples for these previous years? How he had loved not just his disciples, but everyone he encountered. And then Jesus says, that's the standard I want you to have when you're loving other people. When you're loving the people that Jesus loves, which, right, John 3.16 is, is like, is everybody. Okay. So, um, when Jesus said this, when he said this, his greatest act of love, showing his love, was still to come, right? He's a couple hours away from being killed, from being crucified. And Jesus knew that was coming. He knew it was, what was going to happen. And he said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's what, exactly what Jesus was going to do. That's how, the, the way that Jesus loved his disciples and loves us today is that he gave his life. So hours after spending this time with his disciples, teaching, pouring out his heart, and then he spent some time praying, and then Jesus would go on to be killed and, and crucified. And this Jesus' act of love, his giving up of himself, was reciprocated by his friends how? What did they do? They took off. They left. They, they, they were gone. Uh, there was one at the actual crucifixion, probably John. They were gone. Even though his closest friends were not there, Jesus still went through with the crucifixion willingly. Okay, that takes us, we're still around AD 30. This, doesn't, this is not the end of the story, right? Because we... If you're paying attention, we at least need to get to AD 61. And we probably all know what this bit that happens next, right? It's really, uh, I'm going to give the short version. Um, That's Easter, right? Easter happened. The resurrection happened. Um, Jesus came alive again. Jesus came alive just like he had predicted. He had said this would happen. And I want to suggest there are lots of um, compelling historical reasons to believe something that's so unbelievable. But let me, I just want to emphasize one. Um, this morning, and that's James. So James, Jesus's brother, not James' disciple James, James, Jesus's brother, brother of Jesus. So based on the, the wording in the, the, in the Greek, it's not clear whether this is like a, a brother, half-brother, cousin, something like that, but the implications are clear that he's a close family member. He's not just some distant cousin in the other side of the continent. He's brother to Jesus, and while Jesus is before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, James is like, my brother, like God, like 
Yeah, I don't think so. But after the resurrection, James becomes one of the most committed followers. One of the, he, 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 he answers Jesus' invitation to follow him, and he come, becomes one of the most important uh, leaders in Jerusalem to teach others about Jesus and it, offer that invitation to others to follow. So I, think of it this way. Like, what would it take for, to convince you that your sibling was the Messiah, was God? And here's James, and he's, after the resurrection, he's convinced, and he's all in. He's all in to the point where after about 30 years of leading the, the church, the, the gathering in, in Jerusalem of mostly his uh, countrymen, of other Jews, um, the Jewish leaders are like, this is enough. Like, we have got to quell this growing gathering movement of, of Jesus followers, and they kill James. They martyr, the Jewish leaders martyr James in A.D. 62. Um, okay, I just jumped ahead because that's 8062. We still need to work up to 8061. Okay, so it wasn't just uh, wasn't just James who was was following uh, what we call the Great Commission. Uh, there were other missionaries at the time, uh, people who were going out and offering that same invitation to follow Jesus that James was was teaching in Jerusalem, and one of these people was named Epaphras. Epaphras was, went to a city about 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem, a city called Colossae. Okay, you can see we're almost there. He went to a city called Colossae, and there, these were people who did not have a Jewish background there at all. It's in modern-day Turkey, um, about 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem, and he's teaching the same thing. Follow Jesus. Jesus is salvation, just like Simeon said. That's what he's teaching, and people begin to believe. They choose to follow Jesus, and a church grows there. People who are following Jesus, that group, that gathering, uh, grows in Colossae. But there were some challenges to their beliefs at this time in Colossae. They, they, were, they had a past, a background, they had you know, a, a background that they came from as they were uh, choosing to follow Jesus, and they're trying to understand. And, and what seemed to be happening is they seemed to be adding Jesus to some of their existing beliefs or modifying their beliefs in Jesus to maybe fit in better with their culture or fit in better with their society. These weren't people in Colossae who grew up um, like in a Christian home or in a church-attending family or a God-fearing country. This was, this was like far away from that. So some of the people in the church, in the Colossian church, were adding beliefs about, to their beliefs about Jesus, about who Jesus was and what he taught. Their beliefs in, about Jesus the Christ were becoming clouded. And some of the apparent um, uh, beliefs that they were getting confused about were, were the tra- Jewish traditions. And they were thinking things like, hey, you know, Jesus was Jewish. Maybe we should follow all those Jewish traditions too. And hey, well, there's angels. Let's worship the angels. And others were being led away by things that their society, their culture was teaching. <coughs> Sorry. And still others were uh, denying the importance of anything physical. They said only the spiritual matters. So they had all these other beliefs kind of mixed in with what they were, with their beliefs in Jesus. Um, And this is where the Colossians were when another early, what we'd call missionary, learned about this. And uh, this missionary sitting in prison in Rome um, and... He hears about this, and he writes a letter. 
writes a letter, sends it off to the, the church in Colossae, to the Colossians. And this guy, this is Paul. And this, so now we're back here in AD 61 and Colossians 118. So when Paul writes to these guys, he's, he's very encouraging. He's like, you're getting so much right. He calls them saints and faithful brethren. Like he's, you're on the right track. God's working in you, in you, but we need to calibrate something. We need to clarify exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is not one among many gods. He's not just one belief among other beliefs. He's not something to be worked in and around the other stuff you believe. But Jesus Christ is the one and only God. Jesus Christ is supreme. Jesus Christ is preeminent. So here we are. We're in, this is what Paul wrote. Remember those three observations we made about this, um, this verse a moment ago? That uh, he's the head of the body, the church. The church, remember, right? That includes all those Jesus followers from the first ones who believed after the resurrection to Simeon who said, this is salvation, to James, brother of Jesus, to Epaphras, to the believers in Colossians, to, to many of us who believe here today. Jesus is the reason. He's the source, the reason we're sitting here today. And, and the second, the reason he is the head, the source of the church, is that right, he paid for it. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus paid the price through his death, his crucifixion, But it didn't just stop there because he was resurrected and he provided in his resurrection the prototype or the model of the firstborn of the resurrection of the dead. And his resurrection proves his claims as God and Messiah and shows the followers what our future resurrection bodies will be like. And third, we see that Jesus should be even even is preeminent because of the life Jesus lived, the death he died. And the resurrection, Jesus has a special place among everything else. Preeminent is not really a word we use today. We don't really use that commonly in our everyday language. But it carries this idea of being above everything else. And it, it carries the idea of being, being first of, among everything else in such a way that everything else pales in comparison to Jesus. And there's a hymn that captures this idea, the, the line that goes like this. The hymn writer wrote, when we look upon Jesus, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, everything else, the things of the world will go strangely dim. The wording in the New Testament, or sorry, the New American Standard Translation uh, puts this, translates it in a way that emphasizes this idea of being first. So that he, Jesus himself, will come to have first place in everything. So first place in, in everything. First place in such a way that everything else is just not that important. And Jesus gave us a, a picture of what that, that comparison um, looks like. Luke fourteen twenty six says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So is Jesus saying you should like hate your family, forsake your family? I, I don't think that's really what he's, he means here, because remember, he also said, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. But when it comes to how much more, how much greater, how much further above our family we should place Jesus, it's as though in comparison, we, like, we hate them. Yes, love your family, but Jesus should be preeminent. Jesus should be first by a far, far 
margin. In other words, this isn't about saying Jesus is important, right? Most of us would say, yes, Jesus is important. Like, we're here today. Jesus is important. Sure, Jesus is important. You know, we're even, like, celebrating Christmas, not just the consumerism part, but, you know, we put out nativity set. And, yeah, Jesus is important. Even threw some money in the red kettle, right? And that, right, those are great things. But and we can check off the, yeah, I attended church at Christmas, and Jesus is important. But, but is he first? That's really our question, right? Is Jesus first in everything? Is Jesus first in everything? Is Jesus preeminent in your life? Jesus became a human, died, and was resurrected, not just so he could be important to us, but that he would be first in everything. So let's just think about that for, for a moment here. We'll think about that a little bit. So is Jesus first to me? Is Jesus first in everything to you? In your world, in your existence, is Jesus first? Not as important, but is he first? A few minutes ago, we looked at the shepherds on that first Christmas night. They, they put Jesus first, right? They walked off their job or changed their, whatever they did with their job to go worship Jesus. Um, they put him first. And Simeon, ante- Simeon anticipated, waited, longed for Jesus the Messiah to come to earth. And he proclaimed in the temple that this is salvation Simeon put Jesus first. The Magi from the east, the wise men, they traveled a great distance. They spent lots of time, lots of resources in order to to be able to come see baby Jesus and to worship him and to give him gifts. They were putting Jesus first. What would it look like in our lives if, if we were to put Jesus first? Not just to say Jesus is important, but what if Jesus were first? Not put a little Jesus here and there when it's convenient, like the Colossians were doing. But what if Jesus were first? So remember the new commandment that Jesus spoke the night before he was crucified? Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. We, one way we can put Jesus first is by loving the people he loves. Right? That's, that's like everybody, right? John 3.16, that's the world. Might Jesus being first look something like that, loving other people? Um, let me give you one example that I just heard yesterday. A friend said that he, he described this as kind of a rule that he has in his house with his family, that if someone asks for some time to talk, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter what they're doing. If they're busy, they've got a long list of things to do. If someone comes, asks for time to talk, they make the time. I think that's pretty cool. That's like loving other people like Jesus loved, right? Um, what about what about all that stuff we're doing to get ready for Christmas? Like planning our travel, our whatever, our food, our decorations, our like what does that mean if Jesus is first in all of that stuff? What if Jesus were first in gift giving, in holiday party planning? What if Jesus what if Jesus were first when you're stuck in line at the grocery store? And it's a brand new cashier who's taking all night to get through one person. What would it look like if Jesus were first? What if Jesus were first when you're dealing with interacting with coworkers and wishing them happy holidays? What if Jesus were first when you have some downtime 
and you're deciding what to watch on Netflix or Amazon or HBO, what if Jesus were first when you were planning what to do with your time off from work or school? What if Jesus were first in everything? Everything's big, right? That's a lot. Everything's like everything. But what about something? What, can Jesus be first in something? Is there something in your life that you can identify that you could place Jesus first in? Um, so here's, here's a little um, homework part. If you haven't written any, if you're not like the note takers, if you don't have a piece of paper out yet, I want you to grab something to write this down. Um, like really, now, get something out to write. Um, I'm going to give you some homework, okay? And by homework, I actually mean something to think about right now and then something to do later. Okay, so here's the question. I want us to stick with us for for a little bit here and come up with an answer. (coughs) Ten days till Christmas, right? Let's just start with something. We don't have to hit everything, but let's start with something. Over the next ten days, what am I, that's you, me, you, you for you, me for me, what am I going to do to put Jesus first? And write that question and answer it. Um, if you're totally stuck, like this is going to happen, right? You're stuck. There's nothing. Maybe you're you know, busy polishing your halo and you've got nothing to work on. That's possible. Um, but if you're totally stuck and nothing comes to mind, think of a person, right? Think of a person. How am I going to show... Love like Jesus loved me to another person. So we're actually, we have some built-in time to think about this question this morning. Because, you know, we're going to celebrate the uh, communion in just a moment. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table, the Last Supper. And during that time, we have some time for reflecting, meditation, and thinking about the ways that Jesus has loved us, right? In that time, I want to encourage you to think about how can you show love to others, and I, I really want you to think about answering that question. I'm not going to be checking answers at the door or anything like that. But because, you know, we all tend to suffer from short-term memory on. It's not, there's like a memory eraser on the doors when we walk out, right? We sit in here and then we walk through there and it erases the last hour and a half. So if you have it written down, then you can look at it and it's like, oh, yeah, I do actually do remember something. Okay. So. Hopefully you wrote something down there. You're working on that. We're going to spend some time meditating and praying about that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm going to pray for us. Close us in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, Lord, we're we're so glad to celebrate Christmas. It's a great time of energy. It's a great time of fun with our families, Lord. But we, Lord, we do want to place you first, Lord. Help us to make Jesus first in, in everything, but, Lord, even just something, Lord, lay something in our hearts. Help us to see what, what I can do, what we can do, what each of us can do to place you first, to show your love to others, even during this busy season. We don't want to just make Jesus important, but we want to make Jesus first. We want to make you first, Jesus. We thank you for how you have loved us, Lord, and help us to love others as you have loved us. Amen. Amen.